0: Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat shalom. As you know, we've been in a little mini-series on the Book of Joel. Uh, today is the final uh, and fourth part. It's a small book. Uh, and as I've stated, the Book of Joel is perhaps the most important prophetic book in the entire Hebrew Scriptures, in terms of of preparing the body of Messiah for the last days, for for what's going to happen in the generation before the Lord returns. Uh, And many believe we are in that generation. So this is a very relevant book for us, properly understood and applied. It will prepare us for what is perhaps just around the corner. So the book of Joel is is so important uh, for believers today. It's what the Spirit is saying to his people. Joel chapter 2 says the day of the Lord is both great and terrible. Uh, There'll be both good and bad news, but it'll only be good news for those who are prepared. A key central passage in the book of Joel is Joel 2, 28 to 32, which concerns the end times outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And having this prophetic Holy Spirit anointing is going to be essential for believers uh, in the end times because of the crisis and the judgment and the chaos and the persecution and the tribulation that will hit this planet in the last days before the Lord returns. This prophetic anointing upon believers is promised in Joel chapter 2 in the context of these great and terrible end-time events. Indeed, hearing from the Spirit in the last days will become a matter of life and death. This anointing is also instrumental in helping to bring in the great harvest coming at the end times, the fulfilling of the Great Commission. The filling of the Holy Spirit is also going to be key in protecting you and protecting God's people in the midst of persecution and understanding what Yeshua is doing in these end times and in being supernaturally empowered in times of unprecedented angelic and demonic activity when all hell breaks loose to stir up that last great battle against the Messiah and his people. The Holy Spirit will be our helper in the ultimate sense of the word. So let's look here on the overhead. Joel 2, beginning in verse 28. It shall come to pass afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even upon my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I'll display wonders in heaven and on the earth blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun will return to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of that great and terrible day of the Lord. Note the key word here, it says before. Uh, All these supernatural signs and wonders will happen before the ultimate day of the Lord, before the second coming. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all flesh will occur before the return of the Messiah. It will happen in the generation in which the Lord returns. And again, many believe we are now in that generation. Look at Joel two thirty two, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, uh, there'll be those who escape, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord has called. Notice this very specific context here. Mount Zion uh, and Jerusalem. The Lord will supernaturally protect and deliver the remnant of Israel. They'll be protected in military crisis and the attack of the false Messiah, the Antichrist. And those who call upon the name of the Lord will be delivered even in the midst of this most vulnerable spot on earth, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the bullseye of all the satanic forces of hate and destruction and chaos. Jerusalem, the scripture says, will be surrounded by armies, Zechariah tells us. Uh, Jerusalem will be shaken to its core. The Lord is going to allow these events to unfold such that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Yet the Lord will deliver his people, even the survivors upon whom he calls. So the context of Joel 2.28, again, the overhead, he says, I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind, is related to the crisis on the overhead here of Joel 2.32. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there'll be those who escape, even among the survivors whom he has called. And now the overhead, it in the, in the first half of Joel 2.32, it has come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In this first half, we see the glory of world evangelism, uh, this great end times revival, the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And in the second half, we see the Lord's supernatural protection of the Messianic Jewish remnant in the midst of the Great Tribulation. That's the, the twofold context of uh, the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit where believers are endued, are clothed with power from on high. And in this last great day's revival, this last day's revival, the Lord's going to use not only one-on-one fishing poles, but he's also going to use fishing nets, uh, where millions are going to come into the kingdom. (laughs) The worldwide evangelism, mass crusades, supernatural signs and wonders, prophetic dreams and visions, open-air preaching, all contributing to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And E.C., At time, When this outpouring of the Spirit comes, we need to be open to how the Lord is going to use us and want to use us in these last days. Because the Lord is about to change the understanding and the expression of the body of Messiah on this earth in one generation. We need to focus on the core of the gospel, Redemption to the blood of Messiah, the new birth, evangelism, spiritual warfare, spiritual growth, forgiveness, deliverance, healing, community, intercession, inward heart change, repentance, and the coming of the kingdom. We need to focus on these core things, not on externals or, or formulas or rituals or repetitions or, or outward conformity or comparing ourselves to others, uh, or, or judging others, and any, or any practices that emphasizes uh, the outer or the outward man or the flesh. No, that can't be our focus. Look at, look at Colossians 2.23. For such rules indeed have the appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And Romans fourteen seventeen, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. On the overhead, God is about to pour out the spirit of revival upon the earth. And he wants to raise up Acts 2 congregations that will display his divine love and, and radical Yeshua commitment and supernatural power and self-sacrificial serving of others. Listen to this description from the book of Acts of the early first century Messianic Jewish believers. This is Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 29. It It says, The apostles prayed, Now, Lord, consider the religious leaders' threats and enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Yeshua. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. Uh, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. And with great power, the apostles uh, continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Yeshua. And God's grace was powerfully at work among them. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in the temple. No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought their sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and on mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall upon some of them as he passed by. The crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed. This is the kind of Book of Acts Messianic Jewish community I believe the Lord is raising up again as we come to the times described by Joel. Even as Peter quotes Joel too on the day of Pentecost, on Shavuot, to describe what the Lord is bringing about in the Book of Acts with those first century Jewish believers, those first Jewish believers in Yeshua. And notice how Acts uh, 5.13 says, the Jewish Yeshua followers we highly regarded by all the people. Today, however, that's not the case. Today, unbelievers consider, consider Christians and Messianic Jews, Jewish communities, they consider that utterly irrelevant to them. But the Lord wants to change believing communities and congregations and change the way that unbelievers view them. In particular, the Jewish community needs to see our unconditional love. It needs to see our serving of others. Uh, Our supernatural Holy Spirit power and our personal, intimate relationship with the Lord. And that is what they're going to be drawn to. They're not going to be drawn to to rituals or or fluency in Hebrew or or religiosity or or outward observances. If they want that, they can go to the Orthodox synagogue. What they really want, whether they consciously know it or not, realize it or not, is a transformed life uh, and supernatural power. And unconditional love, and an exuberant, heartfelt worship of the Lord, and joy and thanksgiving and unity. And most of all, uh, they want and they need forgiveness of their sins and freedom from bondage uh, and spiritual rebirth from above. Even on an unconscious level, they yearn to see the living Yeshua displayed in our midst. In these last days, the Lord is going to change his people and our congregations so that we function as a unified, holy people, walking in the power uh, and the love of God. Our vision is to be an Acts 2 community, like the first century Messianic Jewish believers. And we'll begin to see spiritual power uh, and purity and unity as the Lord pours out his spirit and begins to prepare us for these end times and the overhead. Indeed, the the understanding of of both the Christian and and Messianic Judaism is going to be changed with the great outpouring of the Spirit. It will cross all national and social and ethnic, racial, economic, educational, theological, denominational, and cultural barriers. It won't be just a a Western world revival or only a third world revival. The Joel 2 prophecy says in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all mankind. On the overhead. It will be at the same time an evangelism movement, a healing movement, a prayer movement, a unity movement, and a prophetic movement. And above all else, it will impart deep passion for Yeshua throughout the body of believers. The Holy Spirit, above all else, longs to glorify Yeshua in our hearts. He wants to instill within you holy affection for Yeshua. Uh, as, as we begin to understand our identity as the bride of Messiah, a bride who yearns for her bridegroom, to gaze upon his beauty, to worship him. Joel tells us that this last, this great last day's outpouring is going to include things like gifts of prophecy, prophecy. Uh, angelic visitations, dreams, visions, signs, wonders. Now I know many believers and many churches and many denominations are not into the prophetic. But Joel makes it clear if you're into the harvest and you love human life and you want to bring comfort to your neighbors and your family and your friends, you are going to have to be into the prophetic. It'll be absolutely essential for you to to be ready for both the good and the bad that's just around the corner. We will need the fullness of the spirit to survive, survive this demonic assault of the end times. And the scripture itself says that all these of all the gifts of the spirit, it says prophecy is the most important to be able to to hear from the Lord and then to proclaim it to others. This will become, Joel tells us, a key part of life in the spirit. Uh, We cannot cut this part of the Bible out of our Bibles and still be prepared for what's just around the corner. We need to cry out to the Lord to pour out His Spirit upon us. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Follow the ways of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, but especially the gift of prophecy. For those who speak in tongues don't speak to, to other people, but to God. And no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But he who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouragement and comfort. Those who speak in a tongue edify themselves, but those who prophesy edify the whole congregation. Paul says, I'd like all of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. Indeed, when you hear from God in a precise way, through a a prophetic anointing, all realms of the gift of the Spirit open up. Paul tells us to earnestly seek to cultivate this gift of prophecy. Indeed, we to eagerly desire and to contend for the faith that the apostles and the first century Messianic Jewish believers, what they lived and breathed. In particular, if we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered on the overhead, we must have these three essentials. We must have correct doctrine, we must have right living, and we must be walking in the power of the Spirit. This was the first century model of faith that the apostles preached and contended for we must pursue all three of these elements. And Joel 2 gives us the assurance and the confidence that there is indeed a promised outpouring of the Spirit in the last days. This is our promised inheritance and destiny. And in the end times, it will become a matter of life and death. Now, the heart of the book of Joel on the overhead is Joel 2, 12 to 17, where he says, where the Lord says to him, even now declares the Lord, return to me. Return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord. Shuv, return to the Lord. For he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings, and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Below the shofar in Zion. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, even those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priest who minister before the altar, before the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, Lord. Don't make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is your God? This passage emphasizes Joel's themes of repentance, godly sorrow, contrition, national days of prayer and fasting, and crying out to the Lord to spare the nation and avert judgment and calamity, and at corporate gatherings of entire congregations to intercede before the Lord. Joel, too, is the answer. Uh, to both the locust plague and drought and, and famine and national disasters we saw in chapter 1 of Joel, and the military invasion and the threat from the surrounding nations of Joel chapters 2 and 3. This passage we just read from, from Joel 2 is the very centerpiece uh, of the book of Joel. It's God's answer to both the crisis uh, and for the blessing. And it's the main burden on Joel's heart, which is to get us to become wholehearted followers and lovers of Yeshua, fully devoted to him, ardently and fervently seeking the face of God. This is the only divine solution. Uh, whether we're looking for for breakthrough of, of power for salvation uh, or protection in a coming crisis, this is the Lord's solution. Whether for revival and evangelism or for rescue for, from calamity, Either way, it's the same answer. Corporately seeking the Lord with all our heart, with fasting, with weeping, with prayer, with repentance. Look at Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and you will find me when? When you seek me with all your heart. This is the centerpiece of Joel's message. Wholehearted devotion to the Lord. As lovesick worshipers of Yeshua, our bridegroom God, which is expressed in part through prayer and fasting. Indeed, prayer and fasting is, a cent- is central to the biblical message of all the prophets. And it's, it's a biblical model of worship. Uh, and it's part of our wholehearted devotion to Yeshua. And indeed, Yeshua himself and also Paul emphasized this more than anybody else. Yeshua is calling us today to embrace this lifestyle of prayer and fasting And as a reminder, we're encouraging everyone to join the leadership team uh, in prayer and fasting for the congregation the second Tuesday of every month Uh, uh, and during our Shabbat worship time, every Saturday. Cry out to the Lord to move in our midst. Now in Joel 2, we see uh, when God sees this this wholeheartedness, his heart is moved. And he answers and he says that I am zealous for Zion uh, and and, and I will protect Israel. I will have compassion on my people I will bless them. And I'll defeat their enemies, and I'll bring them what's called here in in the Hebrew, the teacher of righteousness, which the Dead Sea Scrolls describe as the term for the Messiah. He will renew the land. He says, I'll restore the year the locusts have destroyed. Now, when does all this happen practically in the last days? Prophetically, when does it happen? Well, notice all these references to the fall feasts. I I believe this is when it happens, during the fall feasts. All the the references implied in this chapter 2 of the book of Joel chapter 2 starts out with verse 1, blow the shofar in Zion, which could be seen as a reference to what? Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, also known as Rosh Hashanah. Look at Joel two one: Blow the trumpet in Zion, or the shofar literally in Hebrew, in, in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain, that all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. And this phrase, the day of the Lord, is often seen in rabbinic literature as a reference to Yom Kippur. Uh, because in, in rabbinic literature, Yom Kippur is known, the Day of Atonement is known as the day. Indeed, in the track, there's a whole tractate in, in the Talmud about Yom Kippur, and it's called Yoma, which means literally the day. In verse 11, we, we read this, the day of the Lord is indeed great and, and very awesome. The Hebrew here for awesome is the word norah, as in the phrase yamin noraim, uh, which is the ten days of awe. These days of awe, they were, again, the reference to these high holy days uh, culminating on Yom Kippur. And then look at verse 13. Now return to the Lord your God. The Hebrew here for return is shuv, as in Shuvah, repentance, the theme, of Rosh, the theme of Yom Kippur. Look at verse 15. Below the shofar in Zion, another reference to Rosh Hashanah. Consecrate a fast, we fast on Yom Kippur. Proclaim a solemn assembly, another feast day reference. You see all these references hidden here in Joel chapter 2 to the fall feasts. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Let the bridegroom come out of his room. The literal Hebrew here for room is cheder, which means a, a wedding chamber. The bridegroom, I believe, is Yeshua himself. He's coming out of his wedding chamber. Why, for why and when? For his second coming, for the wedding feast of the Lamb, I, which is a reference to the last of the fall feast, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And verse 16 goes on to say, And the bride out of her bridal chamber, with this word bridal chamber in Hebrew is the word chuppah, It's the chuppah, it's the Jewish wedding canopy. Another another reference to the wedding supper of the Lamb. The the Feast of Sukkot, it happens at the Feast of Sukkot. So we have all these references to Rosh Hashanah, from Kippur, to Sukkot, to the fall feasts. And then in Joel 2.23, we read, So rejoice, sons of Zion. Be glad in the Lord your God, for he's given you the teacher of righteousness, the Messiah. This is all about the return of Messiah sometime during an upcoming fall feast season. Now, by the way, many translations don't read the teacher of righteousness in this verse 23, uh, but instead have the early rains for your vindication or the autumn rains in righteousness. But the literal Hebrew here is Hamara, the teacher, the zedekah for righteousness, the teacher of righteousness. And most Jewish published Bibles actually have this as a translation, the teacher of righteousness, uh, given, uh, again, which is a messianic term we see in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And if you look at the King James Version, it's listed as an alternative reading, alternative translation, the teacher of righteousness. And in the same context, verse 23 ends with this reference, then at the final end of verse 23, to the early and the latter rains, which many commentators see as a reference to the two comings of Messiah, once in the spring with the spring feasts and once in the fall for the fall feasts, which is the time of the early and the latter rains. And then the last part of the book of Joel beginning in Joel 2.28, has five main themes we're going to put on the overhead. The first theme is the day of the Lord. Joel two uh, for 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness. The moon turned to blood. When? Before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. There's going to be global conflict and global revival. Uh, there's a release of both glory and and judgment coming that is going to touch the whole earth and is going to shake everything that can be shaken. And in Joel chapter 3, the nations, we read, are going to seek to destroy Israel. But Yeshua will intervene and destroy those nations. Look at Joel 3, verse 1. In those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I'll gather all the goyim, all the nations, and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I'll enter into judgment against them, Concerning my inheritance, my people Israel. Indeed, I believe many of the judgments we read about in the book of Revelation are not going to occur in a vacuum, but will be in response to the nations attacking Israel. Just as the ten plagues were in response to Pharaoh enslaving the Israelites, the bowls of wrath are going to be poured out on the Antichrist and on his allies attacking Israel. So that's theme number one, the day of the Lord. On the overhead, theme number two, the great outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh. Look at Joel 2.28. Afterwards, I pour out my Spirit on all mankind. Uh, this is a worldwide outpouring. It says on all mankind. Indeed, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon believers is a key uh, pr- a provision and manifestation of the new covenant. It's one of the things that the book of Hebrews says is new and is superior uh, to the Mosaic covenant uh, and why we need the new covenant and why it's not just a renewal of the old. Now, under the Mosaic Covenant, the Holy Spirit only fell upon kings uh, and prophets uh, and and priests, the three anointed offices. And even then, only from time to time. And the Holy Spirit could lead them at, at any time. But in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is given freely to all Yeshua followers. Indeed, that's one of the definitions of the New Covenant. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are not born again. The New Covenant, in its ideal, has people anointed in the Spirit, walking in both the fruits and the gifts of the Spirit. And Joel 2.28 promises that this new covenant ideal will be experienced again before the Lord returns. Now, on the overhead, and the third uh, theme is, is, is cosmic signs. Joel two verse 30 I'll show wonders in the heaven and on earth, blood, fire, billows of smoke, the sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. There'll be signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth in the last days. When the lights go on and off in the heavens and the stars fall from the sky and the moon is turned to blood, no unbeliever will be able to say, I didn't know the Lord was returning. God will not sneak up on them. He'll be turning the lights on and off in the sky. (laughs) It's a warning to the unbelieving world. And it's an encouragement to believers. All of creation will be shaken when the father is about to manifest his salvation to the glory of his son's name. Number four, fourth theme is the harvest. Joel 2.32. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Hebrew here for Lord is Yutheh the four letter of God's ineffable holy name. As you mentioned last time, if you were here, uh, Paul quotes this verse in Romans 10:13 and applies it to Yeshua, thereby directly equating Yeshua with the Lord, with Yudhaivaveh, the Lord God Almighty, the preexistent one. Joel 2:32 refers to this great end times harvest of salvation for all who call upon the name of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles. It's described in Romans 10 and 11. I'm on the overhead but it's more than than just this great worldwide harvest. It's also referring to the end times worship movement. Why? It's calling on people to call upon the name of the Lord. Throughout the Hebrew scriptures, this phrase to call upon the name of the Lord is synonymous with worship. So to call upon the name of the Lord for unbelievers is evangelism, but for believers is worship. And then fifth on the overhead. The fifth theme is all about the land of Israel. Joel 2.32, for on Mount Zion and in Yerushalayim, there'll be deliverance, as the Lord has said. There'll be supernatural protection of Israel from the onslaught of the evil one. Yeshua is returning for his own. Uh, he has not rejected his people Israel, uh, and he has not replaced her with another. Now, when's the timing of this, outpour, this promised outpouring of the Holy Spirit? In Joel 2.28, it says afterwards. Uh, after what? You know, when Peter quotes this passage in, in Acts chapter 2, he clarifies it in, in Acts two seventeen, 17. He says, in the last days, God says, I pour my spirit in all mankind on the, in the last days. This is a last days promise. Look at Joel 3, verse 1. In those days, the Lord's going to restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem and will gather all the nations and bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is right outside of Jerusalem, and enter to judgment against them. By the way, this is a Hebrew play on words here. Uh, Jehoshaphat means the Lord is judge and he he enters into judgment against them against these nations so the timing of the last days according to this passage is when the Lord first brings back his Jewish people to Jerusalem and restores their fortunes and then secondly gathers all the nations to Jerusalem to judge those nations that's the timing of the final last days outpouring of the Holy Spirit and and the fuller context of Joel 2 includes believers' repentance and and corporate gatherings uh, and weeping and prayer and fasting and a wholeheartedness. The Lord says, when you cry out to me, I may relent and bring a blessing in place of judgment. He says, below the shofar in Zion, call a sacred assembly, declare a fast, cry out to God. Then the Lord will be zealous for Zion. And and afterwards, the, the powers of the spirit will be released upon his people. Joel is encouraging us. Indeed, he is exhorting us that if we corporately cry out to God with weeping and confession, with contrition and humility, with fasting and repentance and prayer, he will hear. And he will pour out his spirit of revival and supernatural gifts of the spirit and salvation in our midst. Now, when Peter quotes this passage in, in Acts 2, he's living in the same divine pattern of Joel chapter 2. In Joel 2, there's prayer and fasting. Uh, they, they have a promise of the outpouring of the Spirit. Uh, they're in one place and in one accord in these in the sacred assemblies in Joel 2, waiting on the Lord. And then we have these manifestations, Joel describes, it, of divine power. That's the pattern of Joel 2. And in the same way in Acts chapter 2, we see manifestations and outpourings of the Holy Spirit with supernatural power, a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire, uh, but what preceded all this in Acts, in Acts chapter 1, the prior chapter? Uh, two critical items that are the exact same pattern as Joel 2. In Acts 1, Yeshua says, I promise you that if you wait in prayer, I will pour out my spirit. And we're told in Acts 1 that the apostles all joined together constantly in prayer for 10 days of night and day prayer, which was backed up, by the way, by Anna's 60 years of in prayer, uh, and and Hamabiel's John the Baptist, a lifetime in the wilderness, and Yeshua's own prayer and fasting. Indeed, in John 4, Yeshua told his disciples, you will enter into the labor of those who labor before you in prayer and fasting. And indeed, indeed in the upper room, after Yeshua's ascension, after 10 days of constant corporate prayer, the apostles were immersed in the fire of the Holy Spirit. But note that all this was preceded by the fiery intercession of Anna uh, and John the Baptist and Yeshua himself uh, and many others, which the apostles entered into. Indeed, indeed, Yeshua tells them this. Look at John 4, 18. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their hard labor. This is the pattern of continual, spirit-filled, corporate Fasting and prayer that the Lord wants all of us, including all of us here at Ets uh, to pursue with that same de- the same devotion, with that same passion. We must sow into the Spirit if we wish to reap in the Spirit. So this divine pattern of Acts two is uh, in the book of Acts uh, is is that Yeshua endows his followers with his power of the Holy Spirit as they join together in prayer for the primary purpose that we would be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's also the same pattern we see in Joel 2. Fasting, prayer, claiming God's promises, seeing the Lord move. Now let's compare Acts 2 to Joel 2 a bit more closely. Because when Peter quotes Joel 2, 28 to 32, in order to explain this miracle of Pentecost, this miracle of Shavuot, where the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in tongues, he proceeds it all by saying this in Acts 2.16. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Acts 2 occurs on a, the Jewish feast day of Shavuot, which is 50 days after Pesach and First Fruits. Yeshua sends back to heaven on the 40th day, and the apostles are then fasting and praying, waiting in Jerusalem for 10 days, just as Yeshua instructed. And Yeshua says to them in Luke 24.49, Behold, I send you the promise of my Father to you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And after 10 days of praying and fasting together with one accord, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And Peter addresses the crowd gathered in Jerusalem for the feast. And he says, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Now, it's not only the outpouring of the Spirit that was spoken of by Joel, but also the need to press in with prayer and fasting. The whole context is what was spoken of by Joel. Not just the manifestation of the, of the Spirit and power, uh, but, uh, but the way that they sought this manifestation and the way they lived in holiness and repentance and believing in the coming of the Spirit. All of this was spoken of by Joel as well. So in Acts chapter 2, in addressing his fellow Jews about the supernatural sign of the apostle speaking in tongues, Peter says, this is what was spoken of by Joel. So the question then becomes, well, how much of this? Well, what Peter and the apostles did in Acts chapter 2, is that what was spoken of in Joel chapter 2? Because not, because not everything that Joel prophesied happened in the book of Acts, right? So some of Joel 2 remains to be fulfilled in the future. The point is, Joel 2 was by no means exhausted or completely fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. And in fact, Peter did not say this fulfills what the prophet Joel said, because it did not... Fulfill it completely. Some elements were similar, but by by, by no means fulfilled everything spoken of by Joel in Joel chapter 2. The fullness of Joel's prophecy is yet to occur, and it won't be be, uh, be fulfilled until Yeshua returns. So on the overhead, let's look at some differences between Joel 2 and Acts 2. Number one, Joel said there'd be dreams and visions. There were no dreams and visions in Acts chapter 2. Instead, there were tongues. Joel didn't say anything about tongues. Number two, Joel said there'd be signs in heaven and on earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke, the sun turned to darkness, the moon turned to blood. None of that happened in Acts chapter 2. Instead, we have this mighty rushing wind. Number three, Joel said the Spirit would fall upon all flesh, which he then clarifies by saying, on my servants, meaning on all believers, young and old. But in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit did not fall upon all flesh. At first, just upon the 120 in the, from the upper room. Number four, Peter's experience was a local burst of Holy Spirit power in the city of Jerusalem, and 3,000 were saved that day. But Joel's context is the global day of the Lord, with the Holy Spirit's power falling on all the globe. Joel describes a worldwide day of the Lord event, not just a local Jerusalem event, as in Acts 2. And then finally, number five, Joel 2 is about crisis and deliverance that's going to happen around Jerusalem. We had it related to a military invasion of Israel by all the nations. Peter completely omits this this part of it. He doesn't touch this at all. The point is, Peter did not say in Acts 2, this completely fulfills Joel 2. He said, this is like, uh, this is similar, Uh, the pattern is similar. In Joel 2, we have the promise of the power of God. We have the requirement of wholeheartedness uh, and the grace of wholeheartedness and manifestations touching the earth. Peter says, in essence, that's the best picture of what we're now walking in. But it did not fulfill everything that Joel said. In essence, Peter saw the beginning of the prophecy, and Joel sees the end of it. Peter saw the first fruits. He saw the down payment, the first installment of the new covenant. And Joel saw the time when the full ideal of the new covenant is going to be openly manifest on a global dimension. Joel saw the end. He saw the fullness Peter saw the beginning of the first fruits, the down payment of the Holy Spirit's blessing that was promised to come in its the covenant's fullness in the new covenant. Believers, we are living so beneath what God has promised us in the new covenant. In the new covenant, yes, we're promised a new heart, hallelujah, an inner transformation, which are essential parts of the new covenant. But we're also promised to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the ability to walk in the power of the Spirit, and to partner with Yeshua to help him bring about his kingdom here on earth. My holy brothers and sisters, the Lord wants to pour out his Spirit upon, Isi, upon us. Well, we will see unbelievers, both Jews and Gentiles, getting saved, and the sick being healed, uh, and brothers and sisters who are at odds with each other, forgiving each other. Uh, and husbands and wives being reconciled, Uh, and and the bound being delivered from from demonic oppression, and prophetic anointing falling on our worship, Uh, on our worship leaders, and our musicians, our dancers, our singers. Let us press in with fasting and prayer and spiritual hunger and an expectation to seek the Lord for this anointing. As we get closer and closer to the last days, let's not settle for or be satisfied with business as usual. Hebrews 6 verse 1 says, Therefore let's move beyond the elementary teachings about Messiah and press on to maturity, not laying again the basic foundations of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. The Lord has promised so much more in Joel 2 of oh, the hour of history that precedes the return of Messiah, which I believe we're now at the beginning of the beginning of. And I believe there are people sitting here today or hearing this message on the Internet who will see the return of Messiah. So we need to be ready to be prepared. Paul says this in First Thessalonians 5, verse 2. For you know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. It'll come when people least expect it. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, you're not in the darkness, so that the day should surprise you like a thief. You're children of light, children of the day. We don't belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. And in verse 8 he says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. The way to be prepared is intimacy with God. That's the secret. Look at Joel 2.27. Then you'll know that I'm in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, that there is no other. The Lord says, you will know me, that I'm the Lord your God. This is intimacy. In Hebrew, this yadah to know is intimate knowing. You'll have intimate encounters with me, he says, uh, and me with you. Intimacy with Yeshua is the key. Our end times destiny is worldwide outpouring of the spirit. This is the anointing the Lord wants you to walk in. Micah 3 verse 8. But as for me, I'm filled with all power with the spirit of the Lord uh, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. In the same way, we are to be filled with the power of God's spirit. We're to declare their sin to unbelievers, whether Jew or Gentile. We're to call them to repentance. We're to lead them to salvation. We are to be an oracle of the Lord in the hour of need, where unbelievers come to us wanting answers for their crisis. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this is not casually calling upon the name of the Lord. No, the context in Joel are are true servants of the Lord, living with wholehearted devotion to Yeshua. My holy brothers and sisters of Edz we must truly be servants of the Lord in the real sense of the word, not those who half-heartedly or lukewarmly confess belief in Yeshua on the overhead. Rather, as true servants of the Lord, we must live for him daily. Uh, with fire in our spirits uh, and passion in our souls and lovesick devotion in our heart for Yeshua. He is our warrior lover. He is our bridegroom God. So let us exhort our Jewish brothers to call upon the name of the Lord. And in the last days, when all this crisis hits them, they're going to object and they're going to say, we've been calling on the name of the Lord. And we're going to say, no, you haven't. Because his name is Yeshua, Amen. and he is your Messiah. Amen. And they will look upon him who they have pierced, the one they despised and rejected, and men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And they'll see their long lost brother, and they'll confess his name, and they'll put their trust in him, and declare that he is their Lord. And in that day all Israel shall be saved. Let us call upon our, his name, let us worship the king, even Yeshua, the Messiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's stand and pray. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We call upon you, Lord, today to pour out your spirit upon us. We need, Lord, your prophetic anointing. We need you to prepare us for these last days, for both this great and terrible day of the Lord, for this great end times revival. That will culminate, you tell us, with all Israel being saved. And it for the coming crisis that will involve plagues uh, and military invasions uh, and bowls of wrath uh, and the shaking of everything that can be shaken. So, Lord, we need your spirit. Thank you, Lord, for showing us in this book of Joel that this, this two-fold context of the final outpouring of your spirit. We're, we're endued with power from on high. Uh, it's both to empower us for world evangelism and the fulfillment of your great commission, and also to clothe your people with supernatural discernment and protection uh, as as the Messianic Jewish remnant, even in the midst of tribulation and war and worldwide crisis. Lord, help us to be an Acts 2 congregation that displays your divine love and our radical commitment to you, Yeshua, and and supernatural power and self-sacrificial serving of others and freedom from bondage, and spiritual rebirth, and most of all, a transformed life, an exuberant, heartfelt worship, uh, and our personal, intimate relationship with you, Lord. Lord, let unbelievers walk into our congregation and see and experience the living Yeshua displayed right in our midst. Help us to understand our identity as the bride of Messiah, a bride who yearns for you, Yeshua, our bridegroom, to gaze upon your beauty, to worship you. Help us to blow the shofar in Zion, to return to you, Lord, with all our heart, with fasting and weeping and prayer and mourning, rending our hearts and not our garments. And all who call upon you, Yeshua, shall be saved. We pray this in your name. Amen. Shabbat shalom.